in your Bible, please. Book of Philippians. While you're turning there, I will remind you of that which I'm sure you're most familiar with. Philippians is one of the prison epistles from the pen of the Apostle Paul. It's 61 A.D. Paul is now in a hired home in Rome. He's been there about a year. He will spend from A.D. 60 through A.D. 62-3 in that Hired home in Rome. He's under guard. He is chained to a Roman praetorian soldier. It's been 11 years since the Spirit of God moved him on his second missionary journey to respond to what is often referred to as the Macedonian call. Come over. Paul then is moved to go to Europe. He is expecting that he's going to have opportunity to minister effectively on the European continent. He is greeted with less than what he was expecting. There is a simple Women's prayer meeting, meeting outside of the city of Philippi along the river. But it is there that the Spirit of God brings into existence the Church of Jesus Christ on the European continent. A woman, seller of purple, a tradesperson, a humble woman responds, her name Lydia, and her household, and the church of Jesus Christ has its foothold in Europe. Almost within days, there's a response to this little prayer meeting that now has become the church of Jesus Christ in Europe. And Paul and Barnabas are thrown into prison. And it will be there that that prisoner with his household will respond to the good news of who Jesus Christ truly is. And the church in Europe, begins its humble growth. It's been 11 years that church has grown. It's a church that has a very unique relationship to the Apostle Paul, not only because it was the first in Europe, but because from that moment, they partnershiped with him in the spread of the gospel throughout now Europe. They, like no one else, were with him, sharing 
giving, allowing the gospel to continue to go forth. And so he has a very special place in his heart. And you remember he addresses that. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making request of you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you all with affection, the deepest of affection of Jesus Christ. Very special people that now there in Philippi have become the witness and testimony of the grace of God. He prays for these believers that they might be a people to the praise and glory of God. That's his prayer. We looked at it in verse 9. In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so this body of believers in Philippi, now, 11 years later, he writes to. They're special. He prays for them. His prayer that they might have a greater more intimate insight into their purpose for being, their performance, that they might be a people to the praise and glory of God. And that allowed us to take a little sidebar, looking into the prison prayers of the Apostle Paul. From this letter in Philippi, we went to the letter to the church at Ephesus. That's the first letter, actually, from that first Roman imprisonment. It's 60 AD. And he writes, and he writes to this body of believers that they also, like the Philippians, might have intimate insight. But their insight, he desires, is into the plan that God has purposed for them. In Ephesians chapter 1, you'll remember at verse 15, it says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you all, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, 
that you may know the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, the, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Prayer for the church at Ephesus, like the church at Philippi, intimate insight into the plan that God has. It's a very personal plan. It's a plan of hope, a birthright. His prayer is that they would be going deeper into the experiencing of the hope that is yet to be experienced. It's a future. It's a future of all who belong, who are the beloved. A future of being part of the family of God. But also, there is a bequeathed right along with the birthright. There is an inheritance awaiting. It's incorruptible, undefiled, reserved in heaven. We don't have the details except Paul is praying that they might be entering into a fuller appreciation of what is yet to be experienced, an inheritance. Not a reward, not based on anything other than we are his beloved. We belong. And we've been placed in a unique relationship with him, sons of God, with all of the blessings and all the responsibilities that come with that relationship. I want you to experience more intimately with greater insight as to your hope, your inheritance, but also in what God has provided for you right now. The power that we have in Christ Jesus, to live as he prayed for the church at Philippi as a people to the praise of his glory. How is that accomplished? By his enablement, by his empowerment, by his spirit. And so this is a prayer that they might be experiencing the personal plan that God has provided for them. It's one of two prayers in the letter to the church at Ephesus. In the third chapter of Ephesians, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus that they might go deeper into their experiencing of what it means to fully embrace and experience God in his fullness. So they pray, or he prays for them, that they might experience the fullness of God in them. And we looked in some detail as how that fullness has been revealed. The names of God give us insight to the very character and conduct of God. Elohim, 
Almighty God, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, Yahweh, I am, the self-existing, eternal one, out from whom all things come. And then, that most intimate of all names that give us insight into the character and conduct of God. Papa. Abba. Father. And so his prayer for the church at Ephesus is that they might enter into a more intimate, insightful experiencing of the person of God, who he is, and his relationship with us. It is then that we have arrived at the fourth prayer in the three epistles that he writes from his first Roman imprisonment. He writes four of them, but three of them are two churches. Philippi, there again in Ephesus, and Colossae. And that's where we find ourselves again this morning, at this prayer of Paul for the church at Colossae. Colossians chapter 1. Now this church is unique in that it is not a church that Paul founded on his missionary journeys. It's a church that came into existence while he was ministering in Ephesus, second missionary journey. But while he was in Ephesus, we know that at least one, a man named Epaphras, came to saving faith and went to Colossae. That's where he's from. He was visiting in Ephesus. And he takes this good news that he heard there in Ephesus to his hometown of Colossae. And a church is established. It's a church that Paul had never visited. He had no personal experience with. But now, he is writing a letter to this body of believers. And like the church at Philippi, which he had a very special relationship with, and the church at Ephesus, which was a church that came about in a very catastrophic way, a church that by the grace of God was brought into existence through a faithful person taking the gospel, back to his hometown. And he prays for them. Verse 9, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, that is your love in the Spirit, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience 
and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. A prayer now for the church at Colossae. And it's a prayer for experiencing the fullness of what it means to be pleasing him. To please the one who has given to us eternal life. And how is that done? By understanding and then responding to the will of God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Paul writes to the church at Rome, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. My prayer for you there at Colossae is a prayer that you may be well-pleasing, fully pleasing him. And that is realized as you walk in his will. A will that has been revealed as a surrender to him. Apart from a believer realizing that he does not belong to himself, but he has been purchased, bought with a price, the precious blood of Christ. One cannot know, one cannot experience the will of God until he comes to that place of surrendering to that will. I beseech you, I beg of you, surrender, submit to his will. Many have tried to search out the will of God as though it were something very mysterious. Where God has made it very clear. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he said, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. Your sanctification. You're being set apart unto God. How does that begin? Surrender to him. Being set apart unto him. And then, to walk in his will. To experience what it means to be set apart unto him. To have surrendered to his will. And to walk in his will. Come on over to Romans, the sixth chapter. Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now the reason for that statement goes back to, look at verse 20 of chapter 5. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, 
grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin's abounding. Where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. Well then, why don't we just keep on sinning that the grace of God might continue to... No, that's not how it works. God forbid. Here's the reality concerning what has taken place by the grace of God. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know as many as us have were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. There's a whole different relationship now that you have with regard to sin. You're dead to it. And that took place the moment you believed. You were baptized into Christ's death. That's a spiritual baptism. The physical baptism is a picture of the spiritual baptism. Being placed under the water and taken out of the water is a picture of the spiritual transaction that took place when we placed our faith in Christ. We died with him unto sin. But that's not where it ended. We were raised with him in newness of life. And so now we have a whole new relationship concerning sin. We're dead to sin, alive unto God. What does it mean to walk in his will? It means to walk in this newness of life that he has provided. Sin is no longer our master. We are no longer under its control. We are no longer in jeopardy of its penalty. We are to be walking in newness of life. Went over to Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, for the law of the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus, has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Walking in his will. It's a surrender to his will. 
and it is now a walk in newness of life. My relationship to sin has changed. Dead to sin. Alive unto God. The law has no bearing on me. I am not under any restriction. I am now set free. As far as the law of God is concerned, I am dead. The law killed me in that I died in Christ. The penalty for sin is death. We died in him. Now, therefore, we walk in a new relationship. The penalty of sin is no longer that which we fear. There's no condemnation, no judgment to those that are in Christ Jesus. To allow that to grip our hearts so that we can live in this life that God has given to us with a deeper appreciation and experiencing of what it means to not fear death. Death has no grip on us. Death is not that which we must fear because there's no judgment awaiting those who are in Christ Jesus. Death has been defeated. The penalty's gone. But not only that, so is its power. So that we do not have to serve sin in these bodies anymore. We're still in these bodies. But we are now not under the control of sin. We've been buried with him and raised with him. And he did that for us. He took on the likeness of our sinful flesh. That's Philippians chapter 2. He who is in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but rather set aside the outward display of his glory and took on the form of man. And in that form became our sin bearer. We now walk in his will in newness of life. Whole different sphere. And it is that which is the empowerment of his person in Christ Jesus. No longer the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be and those who are of the flesh cannot please God but you're not in the flesh 
but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Here's my prayer for you, Paul says. My prayer for you is that you will be well-pleasing. The only way that that is realized is through his will, walking in accordance with his will, walking in a new life, in newness of life, walking in the Spirit. That's why he says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, in this body, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to walk in the will of God? It means to walk in newness of life. It means to walk in his spirit. It needs to walk in a way where Christ Jesus is walking with us. He's in us. And he walks with me and he talks with me. It's a new relationship. It's an intimacy. An intimacy of relationship that allows me to now be well-pleasing. Went over to Galatians chapter 5. Walking in the Spirit. Say then, verse 16, chapter 5 of Galatians. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There are certain passages of Scripture that I, I guess in my experience, feel more grateful for than others. Shouldn't, but it's just the way things sort of work out. And for me, maybe not for you, but one of those passages happens to be Romans chapter 7. You see... Walk in his will means to have surrendered myself to him. 
He bought me. I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. It means now to walk in newness of life, dead to sin, alive unto God. It means to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, even though I'm still in this body of flesh. But in this body of flesh, Christ has taken up residence. No longer I live, he lives in me. But Romans chapter 7 continually reminds me that as long as I'm in this body of flesh, there's a conflict going on. It's a struggle. It's a struggle going on between the spirit and the flesh. And they are incompatible. You know what incompatibility is. It's a a grounds for divorce. (laughs) Person said, you know, I I had to get divorced because of incompatibility. Incompatibility, yes. You see, he didn't have enough income. And she wasn't very patable. So the, the incompatibility there made it impossible to continue. And so it is that in this body that we are in, there is this incompatibility. The flesh is desiring to do its own thing. And it will continue to do that until I'm rid of it. But I don't have to be controlled by it. I don't have to live in that conflict. Why? Because he is already won the battle. And so it is that all I have to do is to surrender to his spirit, his will, to walk in newness of life, dependency upon his spirit, to walk in a way that is well-pleasing to him under the direction of the Spirit. In the flesh, nothing within me. Not one thing. Even now as a child of God, in this body of flesh, in the natural man, there is nothing that I can do that can please God. Nothing. But, I'm to walk in newness of life. That is no longer the realm, the sphere in which my behavior is to take place. And you know how you know when that's happening? Well, he says, if you're led of the Spirit, you won't be under the law. You're in a new relationship. Sin has no control over you. And if you want to recognize and be reminded of what that really looks like. Here's what the flesh looks like. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revels, and the like. And if that's the realm in which you're living, you ain't a child of God. That simple. 
because the child of God moves in a different realm. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there's no prohibition. There's no law about that. I'm in a new relationship. Against such, there is no law. And those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Is that so tough? Very simple. The will of God is our sanctification. We're being set apart unto him. And he's provided it all by giving to us new life. He's provided for us the empowerment to live now in this body of flesh to be well-pleasing to him by his spirit. Walk, then, Ephesians chapter 4, Worthy of this new relationship. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in y'all. It's a new relationship. Walk worthy of it. Here's the, again, paradox. To walk worthy of this calling, it's a it's a heavenly calling. I'm looking for heaven. So are you. It's a holy calling. We are a unique people unto himself. A holy people set apart unto him. Sanctified. This calling is heavenly. It's holy. How does it flesh itself out? Lonely. There's nothing haughty about the walk. The calling is so high. How does it reflect itself? Humbly. This newness of life, which is Christ in us. The Spirit of God makes us humble. We please Him by walking worthy of our high, holy, heavenly calling, humbly in newness of life under the guidance and direction of his Holy Spirit. We walk in love, keeping the bond of the Spirit. Any of the haughtiness, the pride, the me first, the I, 
is indicative of not walking in his will. That is a walking back in the flesh. Walk worthy of the calling. Different than the walk you had before. Look at verse 17. He says, This I say there, testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. New life because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him, and you certainly have, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness. Chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Christ has loved us and given himself for us, an offering of sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I beseech you, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, living sacrifice. Walk in love. Look at verse 8. You were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of light, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. But it is a shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. And whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. And Christ will give you light. My prayer, Paul says, for you there in Colossae. I've never met you. I'm grateful that Epaphras brought the good news. And you've responded. And we're one in Christ Jesus. My prayer for you is that you might be experiencing the fullness of what it means to be pleasing to him, walking in his will, in newness of life, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, walking in love, sacrificially, humbly, 
walking in light. So often, in a righteous way, the child of God living in this wicked world wants to point out sin. And the way that's usually done is by shouting at it. See it? There it is. But that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to shout. We're called to shine. We're walking in the light. And if we're walking in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ continually cleanses us. You see, as a child of God, as we walk in his will, it's a walk in a new life. It's a walk by his personal, powerful presence in us. It's a walk in his spirit. It's a walk that is worthy of our holy, heavenly, high calling. And just as he walked, humbly, we walk in this world in love, letting the love of Christ dictate how we interact with one another and We walk in a dark world, but we walk reflecting, allowing his light to shine through us. For what purpose? That we might be a people well-pleasing to him. This is Paul's prayer for us. Thank you, Lord, for these moments together. As we continue to look at these prayers from the Apostle Paul in prison, prayers for us, and we thank you by your Spirit that we may be a people well pleasing to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.